Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Grammar Girl here. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about first versus firstly, a meaty middle about exclamation points, and a tidbit about giving someone leeway. And now, enumeration. The words first and second are better choices than firstly and secondly for two reasons. First, the shorter versions serve the same purpose as the longer versions, and shorter is often considered better in such cases. Second, the L-Y forms get awkward when you reach bigger numbers, such as seventhly and eighthly. I've been known to disagree with Strunk and White, but in this case, I like their take on the matter. They said, quote, Do not dress up words by adding L-Y to them, as though putting a hat on a horse, unquote. And for heaven's sake, don't mix the two forms. If you start with first, second comes next, not secondly. Recently, I saw someone complain that all uses of enumeration are clumsy, elementary school style. But I disagree, and still use enumeration in my writing when it seems appropriate. I believe enumeration can make arguments easier to follow, although sometimes a bulleted list is a good choice, too. And that was your quick and dirty tip. First and second, and firstly and secondly, are both acceptable. But first and second, the simpler choices are the better choices. Before we get to the meaty middle about exclamation points, which is an excerpt from David Crystal's new book, Making a Point, The Persnickety Story of English Punctuation, I have an update about our Amazon affiliate link. First, thank you to people who've been using it. We've seen an increase and we really appreciate it. It helps. Second, quite a few people have written in because they can't remember the URL. So we're adding a new one that I hope will be a little easier. The old one will still work. So if you've bookmarked it, that's just fine. But if you're just getting started, visit quickanddirtytips.com slash Amazon. That's easier, right? Quickanddirtytips.com slash Amazon. When you start your shopping trips there, we get a small cut of the sale and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So it's a great way to support the show. And thanks again to all of you who have been using the link. It's great. And now, on to exclamation marks. Um, David Crystal is British, and the British tend to call them exclamation marks, whereas Americans tend to call them exclamation points. So they're exclamation marks in his excerpt. No other punctuation mark has attracted such criticism in modern times as the exclamation mark. 
and the antagonism isn't restricted to pedantic stylists. Some very well-known authors have taken against them. Mark Twain opens his essay, How to Tell a Story, from 1897, by warning comic writers against the depressing habit of shouting at the reader, including the use of, quote, whooping exclamation points, unquote, which he says makes him want to renounce joking and lead a better life. And there's a much-quoted remark attributed to F. Scott Fitzgerald that goes like this. Cut out all those exclamation points, adding, an exclamation point is like laughing at your own joke. Repeated marks attract particular criticism. One of the characters in Terry Pratchett's Discworld novel, Eric, from 1990, insists that multiple exclamation marks are a sure sign of a diseased mind. Exclamation marks are unavoidable these days. They litter our roads, warning of danger ahead. They alert us to urgent electronic messages. They appear as an identity mark above a character's head in some video games. And they are there in all sorts of specialized settings, such as mathematics, computer languages, and internet slang. In phonetics, the mark is a symbol representing an alveolar click sound, as in tut-tut, In comics, it usually shows a character's surprise or shock, often by the symbol appearing alone in a bubble in varying sizes, depending on the intensity of the moment. In chess notation, along with the question mark, it's part of a family of semantic contrasts. One exclamation mark indicates a good move. Two exclamation marks, a brilliant move. Question mark followed by exclamation mark is a dubious move. And an exclamation mark followed by a question mark is an interesting but risky move. The dangers of superficial generalization become apparent when we consider the range of meanings that an exclamation can convey. Apology, challenge, agreement, call to action, statement of fact, friendship, argument, hostility, sarcasm, thanks. The list seems endless. Here's a short selection of contexts where the mark would be routinely used these days. Each of these is followed by an exclamation mark. Interjections. Oh. Expletives. Drat. Greetings. Happy Christmas. Calls. Johnny. Commands. Stop. Expressions of surprise. What a mess. Emphatic statements. I want to see you now. Attention-getters, listen carefully. Loud speech in dialogue, I am in the garden. Ironic comments, he paid for a change, or for a change followed by an exclamation mark in parentheses. And strong mental attitudes, hardly, he thought. A complete list of situations would be impossibly long, as it would need to identify all the emotions that could motivate the use of the mark. But the last two contexts show how easy it is to make a false generalization, such as saying exclamations show that the speech is louder. There's no sound at all in the last example. One of the main indications of the ambiguity surrounding the use of the exclamation mark is its overlap with the question mark. It's an ambiguity within grammar as well as punctuation, and in speech as well as writing, reflected in such utterances as, Are you asking me or telling me? 
Sometimes the answer is both. A person can query and be surprised at the same time. This is what led to the typographical experiment to devise a new combined mark. Martin K. Spector, an ad man with a strong personal interest in typography, suggested it in an article in Type Talks in 1962. He had noticed that copywriters often used the two marks in the sequence question mark exclamation point and exclamation point question mark and thought it would be useful to link them into a single symbol. What to call the new mark? Suggestions included emphaquest in terrapoint, exclarogative, consternation mark, exclamaquest, and other blends. But the one he chose, incorporating an earlier slang term for an exclamation, was interabang. It attracted a flurry of interest, but not enough to change traditional publishing practices, and it largely disappeared from view during the 1970s. However, it's still encountered as a cult usage online, and it even exists as a Unicode character, so it may yet have a future. In the meantime, we're left with the two old stalwarts, the exclamation mark and the question mark. That was an excerpt from David Crystal's new book, Making a Point, The Persnickety Story of English Punctuation. Crystal is an honorary professor of linguistics at the University of Wales, Bangor. His many books range from clinical linguistics to the liturgy and Shakespeare, and I had the great pleasure of meeting him a couple of years ago at a small usage guide conference in Cambridge, England. Next, the tidbit. What the heck is leeway? Have you ever given people leeway? That is, given them the flexibility to do something the way they want to do it? If you have, you've used a nautical term that dates back from the 1600s. Leeway refers to the way a sailing vessel can drift sideways even while it's moving forward. Picture this. A ship is sailing north. The wind is blowing southeast. The ship can tack back and forth into the wind and still manage to travel north. However, the ship will also drift leeward to the east. This tendency to drift in the direction of the wind is called leeway. If you drift leeward into a lee shore, or the shore the wind is blowing toward, you can crash. Over time, this literal expression took on a figurative meaning. Leeway came to describe the amount of freedom you have to do something before you, well, before you crash. For example, if you're given a lot of leeway at a piano recital, you could play jazz, R&B, or classical. If you're given no leeway, you'll be told exactly what to play. The first known reference to leeway is in a book called The Mariner's Magazine, published in 1669. The author writes of giving allowance to your course according to the leeway you have made. Fast forward to 1969, when Patrick O'Brien writes Master and Commander, the first book in his beloved Aubrey Maturin series. O'Brien uses leeway in both the literal and figurative sense. He describes naval surgeon Stephen Maturin as having, quote, great leeway to make up in the matter of victuals, unquote. In other words, he gets to eat a lot of whatever he wants. Later, a young sailor explains the literal meaning of leeway to Maturin. He describes, quote, the nature of leeway, the loss of windward distance, 
the impossibility of tacking in a very great wind, the inevitability of leeward drift, and the impervious horror of this situation, unquote. Surely we all want to avoid impervious horror. Let's hope we're given lots of leeway in sailing and in life. And that was your tidbit. Leeway comes from sailing and in everyday life describes the amount of flexibility you have to do something the way you want. That piece was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. And I'm Mignon Fogarty. You can find all the Grammar Girl articles at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 